Thank you for joining me in today's broadcast of Dynamic Web Church. I want to welcome everybody that is viewing this for the very first time. You might be watching this live broadcast. You might be watching this in the archives later today or in the week to come. I want to say welcome. I trust that you will be impacted by the message that I'm going to minister to you today. The Word of God is powerful. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it will really divide asunder between spirit and flesh. And it will give to you um, an understanding of the cross of Jesus Christ. It will give true peace to you. So if you're a first-time viewer, I want to just say you are so welcome to be part of this. You, um, it's good to have you here with us. To all those Web Church members that uh, watch this frequently, that supports our ministry, that's part of Dynamic Web Church, I want to just say thank you so much for joining in. Thank you for your support, your emails and um, SMSs, whatever you send to us. Thank you for that. And I also trust that this message will be a blessing to you. I know that it's sometimes difficult, you know, not to be part of a, a local body because you don't find the message of grace in your area. Um, and, but I want to say to you that just by knowing this gospel and hearing this gospel produces peace in your heart and as you go and share this gospel you'll find friends and people believing the same thing where you can go to houses and fellowship maybe start a small cell group in your area and just share this gospel of grace with people I'm so excited I'm um, on the 18th of February now I can't believe it's so close already um, I'm going to America and I'm going to preach in a conference there, Safe Harbor Conference, and then be part of that conference. And I'm excited to meet other grace preachers and start friendships with more grace preachers in the United States. And then from there we will be going to, um, to Canada, uh, Vancouver area. And um, then from there we will be going to Moncton and we'll be preaching there. We will have on the website in this week to come exactly where we're going to preach um, so that if you are of that area and you want to come and join us in the messages there, you are more than welcome. Okay, um, we're gonna, I want to speak a little bit on finances, and uh, then we're going to go over to the worship and right into the Word of God. You know, last night I was watching God Channel, and they had a whole thing about the Jewish people um, on the channel, and just how they went through the Holocaust and how they was really, I mean, was terrible what they did to people, amputated legs on people without putting them under anesthetic or anything like that and uh, just burning people, killing people, not even like animals. I mean, you don't do that to animals. It, it was worse than animals and they were really su suffering and um, they were talking about people being against the Jewish faith and and I believe that there are a movement today that is so much against the Jews, but we don't see it as against the Jewish people. But, but it is um, so against the, the, the Jews that it can condemn them to hell. Uh, if you love a Jew, and, and God loves all people, and Christians, we love all nations, and when we are in Christ, there's nothing like a Jew and a Gentile and, and um, a South African and a Zulu and a Kosa and a... German and an American. We don't have that. We, we see people in a different way. We see people from the perspective of the cross of Jesus Christ. And the judgment that we make is, is somebody, has somebody accepted um, Jesus Christ or not? And that is the, the in and out that we think of. And it's like Paul said in Romans chapter 10 verse 1. He says, 
my heart for, for my people, my fellow brethren, then it talks about the Jewish people, Israel, is that they might be saved. So, you are saying that they were not saved, but he wanted them saved. His, their salvation was in his heart. And I believe he had a true love for those people. He had such a love for the Jewish people that he was willing, I'm calling it Jew, the Jewish people now, but Israel, and um, you'll understand the terminology now, uh, that he was willing to die for them even after a prophetic word came to him in the book of Acts and say they're going to kill you there. You know, they're going to bind you up like this and everything and by the Holy Spirit they, he, they said um, to him, don't go there. And he said, even if I must die, I want to go there and preach the gospel unto my own people. And he, he went through a very hard time. He was really persecuted. He was in jail and he was... And, and there I could hear the Apostle Paul um, losing hope. You know, he was like losing everything because he was going through, through so much suffering. And an angel came and strengthened him and said, I still wanted to go and preach here and here and some places. Um, and after that he was released. So I want to say to you, the Apostle Paul loved the Jewish people. Therefore, he preached Christ unto them. Anti-Semitism is... Um, is really, you know, if you're really against a Jewish, the Jewish nation, that's what it's called, anti-Semitism. You want to kill them, you don't want to see life in them, and all of that. The, the greatest people that are like that today are the people that say that the Jewish nation does not need to be, believe in Jesus in order to be saved. There are people that think they love the, the, the Jewish nation, but are actually used by Satan. And the hatred that Satan has for that nation is manifested through them. For they say, the temple must be rebuilt. The slaughtering of animals must come back. You know, and the Jewish people are a special people because, uh, and because they're special, they don't need the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That has happened 2,000 years ago. If you think that the Holocaust was, was bad, let me tell you something. Going to hell is worse. Going to hell is worse. So, I want to say this, and if some Jewish person that does not believe in Jesus Christ come upon this in some mysterious way or by miracle of God, I want to tell you, I love you, God loves you. And there's life for you. You don't have to walk um, under the curse. You don't have to walk in in being hated by people all the time, being hated by Satan, being hating yourself, not even believing in God. I want to tell you that God chose you guys to put to give the law system and the oracles of God, which contained the prophecies of the Messiah through you. And isn't that special? That's special. God chose you guys. And through you there was a lot of typology and a lot of things seen where we can see the great salvation of Jesus Christ. So I want to tell you that Jesus Christ paid for your sins and your sins has already been forgiven in His eyes. And He has reconciled all men unto Him in Christ. And in the same way He has reconciled you unto Him. And from His perspective, He sees you as a person whose sins has been paid for and is patiently waiting for the reconciliation to come into your heart as well. So you can be reconciled to Jesus by receiving that. You know, and, and <laughs> please know that God loves you so, so much. And don't go through another holocaust which will last for eternity. 
the greatest thing, the greatest deception is that I see people giving their lives for the Jewish nation, but by giving that, killing them, and putting them through more than what Adolf Hitler could ever put them through. You know, I was shaken in my heart when, when there was a woman that was, they, they spoke to her, she went through all those things, you know, and she was before a doctor that inspect you, and, and then he will say, you'll go for experiments, or you'll go to the, um, to, to the gas chamber, or you're going to go and work. And, and she went to the, she, she was standing before that doctor a couple of times, and every time he, he would just like, no, go and work. But she was so weak and full of sickness, that this woman said that, um, if there was a God, we would have said, praise be to God, but I don't believe in any God, this Jewish lady. Now, how can you be... Man, that is terrible to me. That's terrible. When I heard that, I said, Man, can't you believe in the love of, of God that has saved you from that and that has already brought salvation from eternal damnation for rejecting God. And God has not put us into eternal damnation because we reject Him and now He's upset with us. He, he says, if you don't want to be part of me, how can I force you to be? Man, that, that's, uh, you know, that is, uh, it, it breaks one's heart, but it's also amazing to see that. So I want to say to you, God loves all people, and God loves the Jewish people, and He first came for the Jew, He first came for them, and then after rejection, He went and preached to the Gentiles, but the door is always open for that nation. Um, you know, and I, want, I don't want to say a nation for the individual. For God didn't die for a nation. He died for people. You know, if you, if, if you say, well, God died for the... If I say God died for the South Africans, it means He had the nation in His mind and is forgetting about me. God's love is greater than, than for a nation. It's for you as an individual. It's for you as an individual. And if we place value... Um, you know, the thing is so many times... And now I'm going over to the financial thing. And to what I also saw last night, there, there was a guy who was a strong man in the circus, you know, also a Jewish person. And um, they brought, uh, and, and he was also in this, this concentration camp. And this one guy, a Jew, said, um, he came and asked him, why do you have so much peace on your face? He says, because I believe in Jesus Christ. And the guy swung his face to heaven and said, I will never believe in you and hit the table so hard that he split a solid oak table in two. With hatred towards God. You know, because what happened was his, his family went through that, uh, you know, the, the gas chambers and, and uh, four of them was killed there. <coughs> and he had that hatred towards God. Now, if we... And this is the problem we have, you know, when we, when we start to think of a nation or finances or those type of things. If we start to measure the love of God on the foundation, if our loved ones live or not, in a world where everybody, it has been assigned to everybody to die once, according to Hebrews. I mean, you're using a foundation that is doomed that, to, to fail you when it comes to God. It's like saying, you know, um, the foundation for my... I know that God loves me if there's no dog on the planet that's ever going to bark again. Dogs, they're going to bark. 
You know, and if you say, if, there's no, if my family is not going to die, then I know God loves me. That is not the measurement. The measuring reed, the measuring stick that we use is, it, uh, is eternity. We can say, if, if, if there's no salvation for a person from eternal condemnation and hell and death in this life, meaning that there's no resurrection of the dead, um, and if there's no eternal prosperity in the return of Jesus Christ, then I can say there's no God. And I refuse to believe. But that is so. And that measurement will be the true foundation from where you can believe. And it was manifested 2,000 years ago. So I want to say to you, um, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, when it comes to your finances, the following. It says here, But godliness with contentment is great gain. And like I said so many times, contentment is not the, the mindset that says, I'm willing to be poor the rest of my life and I know there's going to be no change. No, that's not that mindset. Contentment is an emotion that comes into the heart of a person when he realizes his prosperity in Christ and that poverty in this world, nothing in this world can take that reality away from you when it is founded in the cross of Jesus Christ and in His resurrection and His obedience on our behalf. Listen to Paul's mentality about finances and how, Im, how, how he sees in, in what category of importance he places it. It says, For we brought nothing into this world and is certain, this is one certain thing that you can be certain of, is that we will carry nothing out. So what he says is, when we leave this world and to, to, to be with God... What we've possessed here will not count any points before God. So he said that does not have eternal value. So let's not make that of uttermost importance in our lives. And let's not measure our spirituality by that. Because just before that, um, he spoke about... Uh, let me just find it here. It talks about people preaching a wrong doctrine and he says in verse 5 that, they are, that all that they say are basically perverse disputings of men, of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. So you want to measure your godliness and the godliness of God by how much money you have today in the bank. And so many times we use that just to um, to satisfy some fleshly desire we have. And what I, I want to uh, uh, clarify what fleshly desire is. Fleshly desire is to, saying that the more I have and what I can uh, uh, receive in my flesh, in this physical world, the greater man of God and the more I am accepted of God. That is not the way it is. And I want us to go to Second uh, Corinthians quickly. 2 Corinthians. Now, when it comes to giving to the work of God, when it comes to giving to, to this ministry, if you feel this is your church, or to the church where you, you, you feel that you belong to and fellowship to, um, or whosoever, whatsoever you've got in your heart, when it comes to that, the safest place 
of giving, the best place of giving, which is acceptable, which was acceptable to the Apostle Paul and to God, for God loves a cheerful giver. Um, and you know, so many times we say, you know, God loves a cheerful giver, but God hates people that don't give. Now, that is not what that scripture says. The correct interpretation of that is not God loves a cheerful giver. It is God loves cheerful giving. Or God loves it when people give cheerfully. It's not directed to the person. Because if you say God loves a cheerful giver, it means that God hates people that don't give. And that's wrong. For the love of God was shown in this, that He gave His Son to all people. So God has already portrayed His love to people, all people that even hate God. He has shown His love by giving His Son. So God loves it when we cheerfully give and He detests it and hates it if we don't give cheerfully. So if you come out of obligation and you give and you give to the place where you are now becoming poor because of your giving, God hates that. And so many times there's a wrong understanding about that thinking that if I give even into my poverty, making myself poor, you know, that's now an honorable deed. That is not what God wants. That's not what God wants. God wants equality in the body of Christ. And that is that you can be blessed spiritually and that you can have enough to live off financially. So... um, he, he come and, came in Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter eight, and he spoke about those things. Uh, I mean, yeah, chapter eight and, and, and chapter nine. He spoke of those things. In, the, in, in Macedonia, there was a church that was very poor, and they gave out of the abundance of their heart. And Paul had nothing against that because they gave out of the abundance of their heart, even whilst they were poor. Then he went to the church that was wealthy in Corinth and he said to them, listen, you promised to give. Now you are not giving. And I was seeing the grace of God working in the lives of people that were poor to be givers. And you are rich and you've received grace to be enriched. But you, you're, not, you're not walking in the grace when it comes to giving. And I want equality. I want you, I want these people that are poor to have out of your wealth but I want you to give out of generosity, out of the abundance of your heart, not according to what you don't have, but according to what you've got. Out of the generosity that you have seen portrayed in Jesus Christ, which was, He was rich, He became poor, so you through His poverty might be made rich, so you can as well give away some of the wealth that you have, but according to the measure that says it is willingly. In other words, not giving that hurts you. Now, you might say about it, then nobody's going to give. No, not if we come with the perspective of First Timothy saying that what we drive, what we wear, where we stay is not a measurement of my blessedness before God. And I walk with contentment, and the Bible says here, be content with fo- food and clothes. So if you can say, well, thank God, you know, I've got a place to stay, I've got food and clothes, you know, and I can, the, the basic needs are met. You know, we don't measure, we're not going to waste money saying, well, you know, I'm going to buy the newest car for the purpose. I'm not saying we're not supposed to have a new car, but listen to this. For the purpose of saying, I'm now blessed of God. And I will do that on the expense of the generosity that's in my heart, making it impossible for me to be generous. 
So the generosity that's in our heart, we must say, God's given us generosity. And let's not use fleshly ambition to prove something in the kingdom of God to, um, to, I mean, take away our ability to be generous. Because God made us generous people. So giving in the kingdom of God comes out of generosity. And generosity is, is we, we will have the finances to be generous. You know, if we come to a place where we don't find our identity in what we possess. And we don't measure according to that. Hallelujah. So, it's like, you know, if we go to a, a, a reunion, soon our, uh, um, Elena's 20 year reunion is going to co- um, come up and we're going to go there. We're not going to worry what car we pitch up there. We're not now going to quickly hire a Lamborghini. Because, or the latest Mercedes hire the thing and go and stop there with it to make some point. No. You know, if somebody, if we go to the airport and, and we hire a little Toyota Taz, we're going to go there with that. You know, if somebody picks us up there and drops, that's fine. Because we don't find our identity in what we drive or what we wear. And that makes it possible for us to be generous. Because when you find your identity in what you drive, where you stay, who your friends are, what you wear, what type of food you you eat, that thing will use up everything you've got. Because there's no end to that lust. For it's a law. And the law is there to prove to you that you can't make it by uh, by your own power. It will use up all your resources and you will have nothing left to live the part that God has deposited already in you and you'll feel a frustration in your heart and say, I wish I can give. I wish I can be part. I wish I can be good to people as well. So, listen to my heart, you know. And uh, I don't teach these teachings to see how much money I can get out of you. I just teach these teachings just for one simple reason. And that is that you can see and understand the truth about giving and the truth about finances. For I want you to be free. I want you to be free. You know, it's like I'm going to the United States now and and, um, I'm taking CDs and DVDs with. And it was like a thing in my heart, you know. What do you say... uh, um, what are you going to ask for your DVDs and the CDs? Because everybody asks money. And now, if I say, now I give mine for free, it, looks as, it can look as if I think I'm better than others. Um, the other thing is, there are people that, you know, they don't have any value. They don't add any value to something if it's for free. So now you don't know what to do. And after thinking and thinking and thinking, I realized I can only be myself. And that is, I make it available for free. And if people want to give something, they can do that. You know, so <laughs> the generosity that's in our hearts, let's, let's, let's live a life that says, I can, that I can have the ability to live the generosity that is in my heart. Amen. And that only comes not by your will, decision of your will. Well, I'm not going to bite my teeth and I'm not going to buy that shirt or that pair of shoes or that car or that house or go on another holiday trip for very expensive because um, you know I'm, I'm like I'm not going to do it I'm not going because I want to be generous no that's the wrong way the way must when love floods your heart and and your identity and joy comes not in where you have your holiday but in the fullness of Christ 
you will have your holiday, you will have your car, and you will find that you can be living that generosity that God has placed in your heart um, and, and spread the gospel through your giving. Amen. So, I hope that you hear what I'm saying, that I'm not uh, um, trying to, like Paul says, and, and I think the, the heart that Paul had is the same as what's in my heart. To Paul it was very, very important, and to me it's very important, that people don't think that I am trying to get money out of people. Because that is not the vision. What we have is out of the abundance, that it, it's what I call grace money. It's what people gave from the foundation of grace. It's like I spoke to a, a, good, a good friend of mine that, that's in the United States and, and um, he's been part of a church and he said that he, he received finances from that church, a salary, but it was a law-based church and it was not even nice for him to receive that because he knew that that money comes out of manipulation and control. It was hard for him to receive a salary that way. And I don't know why it is like that, but I feel exactly the same. I can't receive something if it comes out of this obligation. But I want you to be free because you can live a free life when it comes to your finances. Hallelujah. So, know this one thing and let me just, I, I, I don't want to, um, oh, we, can, we can get into this after the worship. Um, uh, no, just know this, that God's love towards you was towards the poor as well. The Bible says when Jesus Christ came to preach the gospel to the poor. Maybe you are poor right now. Maybe you, you, you're living off a credit card and you don't know how you're going to pay it. Um, maybe you are at a friend's house, you don't even have a computer or the internet and you just wanted to watch this and you're really living off, off nothing, bread and water. The Bible says that Jesus Christ came to preach the gospel to the poor. And that poor there doesn't talk about the spiritually poor because after that, it speaks about the spiritually poor. It says those that are broken hearted and in jail. It doesn't just talk about physical jail. It talks about spiritual jail. And then he says to come and bring the, the acceptable here of the Lord God. So he came for the poor. And I believe the reason why he came for the poor was portrayed in his life. He was giving to the poor. When you looked at uh, um, the writings in the book of Acts, it was always directed towards the poor, not to forget them, to give towards them. Why does Jesus Christ want to give to the poor? Because He hates it when they poor. He doesn't hate them, He hates it to see their poverty. So I want to say to you that Jesus Christ has brought redemption for you from your poverty. And the way unto that redemption is very simple. It is, we read the gospel of grace. We believe that we have been redeemed from the curse of poverty which came through the law. And by faith we say that God has made us prosperous. Now prosperity is not measured on a worldly system, but as was given to Timothy, which says, our life does not consist out of the stuff we possess. And you'll find that you'll have a place to say, food to eat, if you need a car to drive, to drive, and all those type of things. Amen. Hallelujah. Let me just pray for you. And then after the prayer, we're going to go into worship. Father, I want to pray for everybody that watches today. I thank you, Lord, that there are people here that watches this. Um, that has made their way here, even if they are very poor, to watch this today on the internet. And I just want to bless them. And I say, be blessed in the mighty name of Jesus Christ by this message. And prosperity is yours by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And through the generosity of Jesus, He was poor and He, gave, he was rich and He gave away His riches so that we can be rich. Through that generosity, we are prospering. 
thank you, Jesus, for your generosity and the generosity of God. I come right now and I speak over every person that struggles financially and has got no way out, that doesn't know where the next food comes from, doesn't know how they're ever going to pay the school fees for their kids or um, how they're going to pay the water and lights or the rent. I want in the name of Jesus declare you today prosperous by the anointed word of God that is empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I speak it into your heart that it will bear fruit and that the situation is changed now forevermore. As God has changed my situation from being very poor to a person who can live a good life today. I speak it over you in the name of Jesus. Father, I also pray for those people that has got prosperity in their houses. I thank you, Lord, that they are delivered from a system that says that I am what I possess. I am how much money is in my bank. I am that type of person. I thank you that they are set free and that they can be free to live, to walk in the liberty that you've given them to be generous. So what your word says, command those that are rich to be, to be abundant in good works towards those that are poor. And thank you, Father, that those people can be free to live the fullness of God in their lives and be generous in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to go over to the worship and just enjoy this. Sing with, enjoy these words and just let it touch your heart. Well, isn't that awesome just to worship God and to know that that worship comes from a foundation of grace, the foundation of God's unconditional love for us. Now we're going to get right into the teaching that I have got for us for today. Now, um, in the week, I know it was Friday evening, I had a dream about um, the book of Job. And I was starting to read the book of Job and I couldn't understand that book, you know. And I, it was almost like the way I felt about the book of James and said, um, but it was even worse concerning Job. And I said, well, I wonder if that book was needed in the Bible. Because what purpose does that book have in the Bible? And um, in Bible school, I've made a, a, a subject that, that talks about Scripture interpretation. You know, that we shouldn't read the letter, but we should read the Word in the Scriptures. And uh, it's funny how it works, you know. I, I mean, I, I started that, and I, I preached on that, how to interpret Scriptures. And it's part of the Bible school, and I use that in Scriptures, but I never used it concerning the book of Job. To see Jesus in the book of Job. And I felt like, you know, your Lord, you know, this book of Job, and then I would read, and here was Job just for nothing. I mean, God in heaven is like a game he played with Satan, trying to prove that his man was more powerful than Satan. And uh, in this dream, I, um, I had a voice come to me and say to me, Job speaks of Jesus. Man, I woke up and that made sense. Job speaks of Jesus Christ. He's a type of Christ. And then I went on the internet in the morning and I, I typed in Job as a type of Christ. And I saw some commentary saying exactly the same thing. That he was, Job is actually a type of Christ. And we should not try and um, take what happened to Job and direct it to ourselves. Jesus Christ came to fulfill the scripture. He came to fulfill what was prophesied in the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, every book, wherever it speaks of Jesus, He came to fulfill that. 
and that includes the book of Job. And I've never heard, um, you know, that type of interpretation. But when I woke up in the morning, I was so satisfied in my heart, for I knew that this is the truth. Now, um, I want to just, let's just quickly go there. Uh, it's not my plan to preach on this today. I'm going to preach on uh, another scripture. But I thought, let me just share this with you, and you can go and study this out for yourself and see where do you see um, where, where do you see this? You know, in, in Job, go and read the book of Job. And I realized that the book of Job is also written in a... Um, it's basically chapter 1 and 2 that speaks of Job and the encounter. And then a lot of uh, the struggles that he went through, what was going in, on in his mind, and then basically, most of the time, what his friends said. What they think his problem was. And you can go and see that all the friends... Uh, the friend's um, advice was law advice. You know, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this. Where God said, well, I'm pleased, you know. Um, and let's just look at Job. Job chapter 1. Um, and the reason why we can interpret it this way is because we don't want to preach the letter. We don't want to preach a message that says, you know what God's going to, what God's going to do if you're a righteous guy is going to take away all your stuff. Because that's not in line with what Jesus Christ brought for us. So we need to see Jesus. When we interpret scripture, we need to see Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And let's just look at what type of man Job was. Job was a man with seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she asses and um, uh, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men in the east. Now Jesus Christ was also the greatest of all men when he came to this earth. Um, and now listen to this. And his sons, in other words, his people, his his offspring, his family, they went and feasted in their houses. Everyone he. Um, everyone his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their uh, the feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sacrificed, uh, and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It my, um, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This, the Job continually. So, Job, what did Job do? He continually sacrificed. Why? For he didn't want the sins of the children before God. He wanted their sins to be taken away. So, he's, he is seen as somebody that's, that, that stands for sacrifice to take away sin. Now, let's continue. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also amongst them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Where do you come from? And Satan answered and said, From going to and fro from the earth, um, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Now listen to God's word about Job. It says, There is none like him in the earth. A perfect man and an upright man and one that fears God and pushes away evil. Now, uh, even today, I want to see who is a perfect man, an upright man and one that pushes away 
Or even another place talks about the righteousness of Job, how wonderful Job was. And then Satan came and he said, listen, who Job is, is based in what he possesses. And that was exactly what Satan said to Jesus. He said, listen, your possession, if, if you can go through a hard time, if, and I believe that was exactly what happened to Jesus when he went into the wilderness. He went into a wilderness place where everything was taken away from him and he still didn't curse God. Cursing God meaning um, that he says, well, I am not what God says I am, I am what I do. And Job lost everything. He lost his family, he lost his possessions, everything. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus Christ. He was rich, he became poor, so that we through, our, through, through his poverty might be made rich. He lost his family, his family thought that he was nuts. He was hanging upon a cross, alone, stripped from everything. And then, if you read the end of the book, and I'm just saying this quickly, I don't want to, like I said, I'm not preaching on this actually, I'm just mentioning this. At the end of the book, he even prayed for his friends. And his friends were forgiven by God. Now to me, Job is just a type of Christ. It's like the first guy that went and picked up sticks on the Sabbath after the law was placed there. He was stoned. Because of and that was, he was stoned in the Old Testament. Why was he stoned? Because of God's Word speaking, portraying that on the Sabbath day, in the Sabbath rest, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're not supposed to work for our righteousness or for our food. Talking about spiritual work, trying to work things for God so that God can bless us. There's no work on the, on the Sabbath day. You cannot go and sow on the Sabbath day to reap something. You cannot do that. If you went on the Sabbath day to sow in order to reap, you, you would have been killed. For that was not allowed. In the same, and, and if we take that into the New Testament to say to you, listen, in the Sabbath rest of God, don't try and sow and reap. It's not allowed. It's not part of the blessing way of God. So, that is just typology. That was types and shadows, but the substance is of Christ. And we must realize that Job's life and what he went through is also a type and a shadow of the real thing, Jesus Christ. So, we can't take the life of Job and directly apply it to our life. We must apply it to the life of Jesus Christ and then interpret it into our life. Man, <laughs> hallelujah! Isn't that the good news? You know, that is a big answer in my life. Because I had a big question about this and you get people always asking you things. Saying, look what God did to Job. Yes, but look what God did to the people that didn't listen. You know, uh, and, and, and wanted the law. They couldn't, in the law they were in the desert. In the law they were in the desert. In the same way, when you're in the law today don't, and you don't want... Um, the gospel of grace, you will find that you go through very hard times. You struggle in your relationship with God. Although while you are there, today you'll find that God's mercy will always be present with you. But you need to tap into that and believe that. And those that could believe entered into the promised land. Hallelujah. And when we are in grace, we're in the promised land. We're not in the desert. So it's all typology. Look at Egypt. And Moses coming. Moses a type of Christ. Isn't it? To deliver people. 
a lamb that was slain, blood put on the post. You might say, but look how harsh was God to that lamb. Don't think of that. That is not what God tries to say. What God is trying to say, He talks about His lamb, Jesus Christ, that would be slain for our sins, so that we can come out of bondage into the promised land. Hallelujah. Amen. So, if we take the life of Job and we say, we try to see what type of God God is in the life of Job, we must look and say, what is the spiritual interpretation of Job? For God is spirit. And God, the Bible says God's word is spirit and spiritual. And we, if we take the letter of the book of Job and we say, listen, look what God did with Job and he was in this contest. And he was in a contest with Jesus Christ. He was. Proving the righteousness in human flesh, so that multiplication of blessing could come unto Job and that there could be a bigger inheritance and an inheritance for all that would be born out of Job. And that's exactly what it speaks of Jesus. So there could be a great inheritance and inherited a better name than all the names that there was. And we are co-heirs with Him that are born in this way. Of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So, to me, that answers, you know, the, the, um, the, the thing that happened to Job. And another thing that I also saw there, let's go here, Job sacrificed here. And we, we might say, well, that was just out of Job, you know, he, he decided to sacrifice. Let's go to the end of the book, Job 42. And um, It says here, And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said unto um, these two friends of Job, My wrath is kindled against you and against thy two friends. It's three guys. For you have not spoken of me the things that is right, as my servant Job has. And listen to what God says. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. Jesus Christ was sacrificed, and his servant Jesus prayed, and many wrong things were said about Jesus when he walked on the earth by the people that crucified him. Okay, for him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly or after your works, in that you have not spoken of me, the things which is right, like my servant Job. <laughs> this is a type of Christ, man. And what I want to say about this is, here, long, now listen, the book Job is the oldest book in the Bible. It's older than the book, uh, the, the writing is older than the book Genesis. Because Moses wrote this, and Moses didn't write this. So, the book of Job is the oldest book, the old, and, and out of it, any historian, any Bible scholar will tell you that. And what it talks about there is animal sacrifices. Where God commanded what they had to exactly, what they had to sacrifice. They sacrificed seven bullocks and seven rams. So where did this animal sacrifice thing come from? It came from God that told people to sacrifice before the law. Long before the law. Long before, I believe, Moses was even born. Because Job became older than 120. And nobody became older than 120 
after the flood. So, now, now listen to this. So, that, that's how old it was. But there was animal sacrifices. You find God spoke to, before the law was given, there was a sacrifice that was given by Noah. Why? Because it was given to God and said, you shall sacrifice. But that was before the law. That means that the law existed and God told people according to laws and rules and regulations to do things, but it was never given in a written format, but it existed. So we can even say, like many people say, that a tithe was a command of God that was given before the... Uh, or tithing was before the law and God wanted people to tithe before the law. And that means it must happen now because it was given before the law. If we want to interpret Scripture, we must use... We must be consequent in our interpretation of Scripture. If we say that, then we must say that if somebody said something wrong about God, which we find every day today on television and, and in churches, that they must go to God and offer seven bullocks and seven rams. For that was before the law. And we don't do that. Because we know that is an absolute abomination before God. It is tramping underfoot the blood of Jesus Christ according to Hebrews chapter 10. If you go back to animal sacrifices and that there will remain no other sacrifice for you. Now, that, what that means in Hebrews 10 is there will remain no other sacrifice before you is because when you go back to animal sacrifices it means it's a rejection of the blood of Jesus as a sacrifice for you. So, when it comes to any sacrificial thing and we look at things that happened before the law was given, it cannot be interpreted into the New Testament and said that that's the way it is supposed to be. In that time, it was accepted to be married to a wife like Abraham with Sarah and then to have a child with a woman that stays with you, that, that works in the house. Now, can we apply that now? <laughs> if you want to do it that way, my friend, to, 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 to push tithing or, or to get money, that type of thing, my friend, then let's interpret the Scripture on that foundation for the whole of the Scripture. And do it that way, and you know you can't do it that way. And you know that the testimony of the Holy Spirit that's in your heart cannot do it that way. Now, isn't that uh, 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 interesting to interpret the book of Job that way? Man, it blessed me. It feels as if I'm so blessed now because I, it's an answer. And let me tell you something. If you ask God, He answers you. It was always just something in my mind. And then somebody asked me a question uh, out of the book of Job and, and it was difficult for me to answer it. Um, and man, and, the, and from there on I said, Lord, I'm going to read this book and you're going to explain this to me. And I read in, in the book the first three, four chapters and I was like, Lord, this is a thing to me. Please answer me. I, and, and I remember I walked in the studio. I said, God of heaven, answer me. I need an answer. And then it came in a dream. Hallelujah. I believe that is God's answer for, for that. Now, let's go to what I really want to say today. And Second Peter. Second Peter. Second Peter. Man, wasn't it just something that just flowed out that blessed, blessed you now when I spoke about the, the picking up of the sticks on, on the Sabbath? And um, 
You're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. You're not allowed to sow on the Sabbath. You're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. The sowing and reaping principle was not allowed on the Sabbath. If you did that, you would have died. So we can't live by that today. You know, we can't because it robs you of your peace. And many other things. And, and the greatest, the, one of the greatest law in the Old Testament was the Sabbath law. You had to rest on the Sabbath. You had to. You weren't even allowed to pick up one stick or you would be stoned. And why stoned? Why stoned? The Bible says, and the ministration of death, which was the Ten Commandments, was written on, on stones. Okay? And then when you, in the Sabbath day and in the Sabbath rest, rest which God has already declared... Is the year of jubilee, the year of acceptance of our God. The Sabbath rest that is there for us today according to Hebrews chapter 4. When we enter into that rest, we are not allowed to work. Why? Because what was signifying is that the ministration of death on stones, that will kill you. That's why that person had to be stoned. If a person was caught in adultery, why were they to be stoned? Do you know why? Because in the New Testament it signifies of you are in the gospel of grace and then you are flirting with the law. It's not saying God will kill you. What it's saying is the stone will kill you. The law will kill you if you are in adultery. Having a relationship with the law and having a relationship with God. In Jesus Christ you cannot do that. When you've entered into the Sabbath rest, my friend, then you are to rest from all your works as God rests from His work. Now, how did God rest from His work? And I've said it so many times, so beautiful, it's like a painter. When he painted the painting and it's finished and when he sees the perfection, he rests from his work knowing that nothing can be added unto it. Now, that is the way in which God rests from His work. God did not rest from His work from, well, you know, I am now tired and let's finish this tomorrow. No, no. He rested knowing that there's nothing more to be done. And then He says in Hebrews that we are supposed to rest from our work as God rests from His work. In other words, saying that there is nothing more that can be done. All the work is done and I rest in what was done. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's like you cannot curse, you know, if if you would blaspheme and speak wrong about God, what happened was people were stoned. Why? Because if you don't have the right word in your mouth, the law will kill you. That's what it means. Now, let's go to Second uh, Peter, chapter 1. 2 Peter, chapter 1. And, and uh, also, let's also open in uh, two other places. Uh, Proverbs 4. Scripture that I really love. Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 20. 1 verse 20 and then 2 Peter and then we're going to go to uh, Romans 
Listen to this. <clears throat> it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now it talks about your... Uh, it's types and shadows again, trying to be explained. Now it says, what do we do? It says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In other words, make your body available. Be available for the, to, to, to have your mind renewed. So that you will not conform to this world, which is the law system, but that you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, conform to the world means that your life will start to be like the lives of people that are under the law system. Now, you must know that the Jewish people were under the law system as well as the Gentile people were under the law, but not the Ten Commandments. They had their own laws their own written laws, they had their own law system that was in their hearts already. Go and read Romans, I don't have time for that, Romans 1 and 2. So, <clears throat> there was no person on the planet without the law. Everybody had the law. The law was there, and, and now let me tell you something, the law system was there, there since the second Adam sinned. Because directly after that, what did God do? He pronounces the, pronounced the curse of what happened, but he went and slaughtered animals. Implementing the sacrificial system by animals right there. So, man, let no man say to you that the law system was only something given afterwards and that people lived under the grace from Adam to Moses. That's just a lie. You know, it's not the truth. Right. So, <clears throat> What it says here, it says, we should not be conformed or have the same things in our lives and the effects in our lives that the law, law system have on our lives, which is, and clearly was explained, confirming to the world, was explained in Romans 7, where Paul said, listen man, when I am under the law, the things that I don't want to do, that I do. And that destroys people's lives. So what it was actually saying, don't have the, destru the, the destruction that's in the lives of those that are struggling under the law that brings forth sin um, in your life, but make your body available to what is good by doing what? By simply having the renewal of your mind. Now, the renewal of the mind is a very, very important thing in the life of a Christian. Simply knowing something once and hearing of something and having knowledge of something concerning grace, saying, well, I've got the knowledge of, you know, that I'm the righteousness of God. I heard that and I take note that it, that it was said. That does not change your life. That does not change your life. What changes your life is when your thought pattern becomes the thought pattern of God. That changes your life. You know, I can be a person that... Um, let's, let's use the example now that, that we, we used in the beginning of the service. You get people, their mindset is, you know, the Jewish nation is a special nation and they are saved even without the blood of Jesus Christ. And those people also have knowledge of the scriptures that says, you know, the Jewish, Jewish nation and the Israelites as people must also be saved. So they, they have that knowledge. 
they have their knowledge. But their mindset is a different mindset. Their mindset is wrong. But they also have knowledge of the other scripture. But that is not the foundation of their thought pattern. Their mind has not been renewed with that new thought pattern. Their mind is still living in another thought pattern and they have knowledge of the new thought pattern. And that is what, what we see so many times today is people are mistaken because, uh, and I've seen it so many times, I've lived in that in my life and, and I discover areas in my life on a daily basis. I know, let's not say daily basis, but on a weekly basis. Or as I look at things in my life that doesn't go right, um, or times when I can lose my temper, or whatever thing you know that is not beneficial for me in my life. When I look at that, I know that it's simply because of an unrenewed mind in a certain area. And then I've got knowledge of the right thought pattern, you know, that I'm supposed to have in that area, but I don't walk by that. I just got that, let's take finances. You know, I know that he was rich, we became poor, so we through his, rich, through his poverty might be made rich. But when, it, when the bank says this, you can find, whoa, I'm stressing. It's simply because you are still thinking and the thought pattern in your heart is still the old thought pattern. You take knowledge, you take note of the new one, but that has not become your way of thinking. So, I want to say to you as, as, as born again, grace-based Christians, never underestimate the power of having a renewed mind. The fact that you've listened to five messages, you know, you take knowledge about that, that will bring great joy in your heart. But it's like a seed that's been sown. And and the, the, the parable of the sower, the seed is sown. That seed germinates. It comes up and there's great joy. But when persecution comes, now the context there was... Um, you know, the, the, the people that were standing for the law persecute you now. Now you say, well, I, I lose my joy. And then it says, it's because that word has not found root in you. In other words, it grows. It comes to your mind, wow, hallelujah. But then it must come and be rooted in your heart. Your heart talks about a belief system. So this message must come and find its root in your belief system and then from there it will bring forth fruit. Now, I want to give you good news that will be very good news if you hear it in the right perspective and from another perspective you might say, but this is not good news. The good news is that if you are not making it now, in other words, you are still seeing that you don't see the victory and you're not bearing fruit and all that, but you're now in the grace of God. God's not upset. He knows that the root is busy growing. So relax. And the other thing, and you might say this is not good news, is listen, continue to meditate in the gospel of grace until you see the word of God bearing fruit in your life. And don't try to bear the fruit if you don't have the fruit, because that is not God's desire for you. God's desire for you is let it bear, let it get rooted in you and then bear fruit. You know, what I want you to do, uh, I don't know, maybe you've not done this before, but take, take a seed, any seed, plant it. And then, after it germinated, or you don't have to plant, put it in a, some cotton wool and uh, s- uh, put water on it, and then you open it every now and then and see how it grows. You will see the, the root outgrows 
the, the plant itself that's above the ground by far. So don't measure by the manifestation in your life what is being rooted in your heart. The Bible says that you being grounded and rooted in love may know how high, how wide, how deep and how long the love of God is. So, as you get rooted, you will find that there will still come a manifestation of that in your life. So, all that we do as Christians is we hear the gospel of grace. We hear it over, we hear it over, we preach it over. We listen to it more and more. It's like with me now, uh, from Monday, I started to do a daily broadcast, except on Wednesdays. So I've got Monday, Tuesday, Thursdays and Fridays, I've got a live broadcast every day at 2 for 30 minutes. I can't tell you how that benefits me. It benefits me. I just find more, I, I, I started to find fruit coming to my life. More peace. I feel that I'm calmer in my heart. You know, I, I, I've got more peace about the future. I've got peace about every, every area that I minister on. I just find more peace. Why? Because that word is being rooted in my heart. That's all I hear. It's all I hear. My mind is being renewed. So, what is knowledge is being preached. And as I preach it and hear it over and over, I find that it bears fruit in my life because it's rooted in my heart. And this is what he says here. He says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind that comes, how? By the word of God. And what is the, the end of that? That is the proof or the manifestation of that good and acceptable and perfect will of God for your life. That is talking about manifestation now. Blessing in your finances, peace in your marriage, um, immortality in the return of Jesus Christ, and all those type of things. How wide, how long, and how deep the love of God is, the manifestation of it. So I want to say to you, if you've heard this good news now, don't say, well, you know, I've heard the good news and because I've heard it, I've, re I've reached the end of the fullness thereof. No, no, you've heard it now. But it can be that, the, that you, you are taking note of this good news. It sounds very good, but the way you function, the way you live your life is still based on that law system. So I want to give you this advice. Don't ever stop to think upon, ponder upon, meditate upon, and hear and listen to this gospel of grace like I said to, uh, to Vessel just before the service. You know, if you've been listening to the gospel of grace, you will find that while you listen to it, it is easy. It comes naturally. You can't wait to hear the next thing. You can't wait to go and listen to what you've said before. You know, like at, at 9 o'clock today, there was a message being broadcasted um, uh, that I preached in, um, in, in a safe harbor conference, I think it's six months ago, six, eight months ago. And I, I don't know how many times I've listened to that, and, and I was just listening to that again. Uh, because we had to set up for, for the service. So I was listening to that this morning for about 15, 20 minutes. Man, when I listened to it, it blessed me. It was so wonderful. I want to hear it again. I thought, you man, these are eloquent words. It was God inspired me to say these things. Wow, hallelujah, thank you God for what you are saying. I'm blessed. And while I preach this today, I'm so blessed with what I said about the tithe because I didn't plan to say it. It just came. 
the book of Job. Whoa, hallelujah. Here, what I'm saying now, wow, hallelujah. It is, and it's easy, you know. And for me to, to, to do this again on Monday, it's easy. It's, but once you haven't done it for a while, it's, and I, this is just practical things, it's difficult to start again. It feels like work. Because another system starts to take place again in your heart. And this is what Paul said. He said, fight the good fight of faith. And I want to say this to you, it is a continual fight. So as long as what you are in the gospel of grace and you're hearing this message, continue to hear it. Continue to listen to it. Make sure, you know, that you read the word. And I don't read it from the perspective of, you know, if I don't read it, God is not, is not going to accept me. Man, it's like food. You're not saying, well, you know, it's an effort to eat. If you don't eat, you know what's going to happen? If you continue not to eat, you're going to die. You're going to become sick. That's what's going to happen. You're going to become ill. You're going to start to, your, 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 your system that's in you, that protects you, is not going to work. And we know that. And we don't say, well, if somebody say to me, man, eat something that is condemning me. Because I know the good that's in it. And I don't feel if somebody comes and offers me a plate of food or takes me to the restaurant and say, listen man, come eat at my house. Or say to somebody, listen, make sure that you eat, eat every day. Nobody says, well, he condemns me and he's judging me. No, no. You're saying, well, I know this is, this is the way it's supposed to be. So if I say to you, continue to meditate upon the gospel of grace, don't say, well, he's trying to force me to the things of God. <laughs> it's not. It's just telling you the effect and the goodness of this. Hallelujah. And like you, you say to somebody, come and have a meal with me at uh, the Spur or whatever, some restaurant. It's, it's not, you want to bless the person. So that is why I say this. Hallelujah. Amen. Now let's go to um, Proverbs 4. So the reason why I minister these things today is just to bring under your attention the power of knowing the gospel of grace to the point where it's rooted in your heart. Not to the point where it's just taking knowledge of. You know, I've got knowledge of, um, you know, the, the recession or whatever is, that's in the United States. I've got knowledge of that, but that's not rooted in my heart. Just something I know. And it's got an effect in my life. You know, I think about it and I'll preach about it. You know, and that, that's basically the effect it will have. But not, it doesn't have a big effect. But there is an effect. You know, um, if, if I look at what's happening in the Middle East, you know, it's knowledge. And it's got a, a little bit of an effect in my life. In the sense of that I think of it every now and then and when I see it on the news then I've got an opinion or something. And that's it. But I don't spend... Uh, <laughs> a hundredth of the time meditating upon those things than what we spend on the Word. Now, I'm not trying to justify myself and say, look how good I am. I mean, this is my work. This is what I do for a living. I, 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 preach, I preach the Gospel. That's what I do. I don't do anything else. Every day, it is, Bertie is going to preach a message today. So, and every day I prepare for that. You know, and I'm going to go and preach in a conference in the United States, and I'm going to be well prepared when I go there. And then from there, I'm going to preach in Canada, and I'm going to be well prepared when I go there. When I come back, we're going to do gospel crusade. So I'm going to be well prepared to do that. So that's why I spend time in the Word, and I meditate upon the Word. But it's got effect in my life. So I want to say to you that once this Word gets rooted in your heart, 
changes your whole life. It's got effect. And I've seen, let me tell you something, I've seen some, some things take six months or a year. So when you don't see the fruit in six months, don't say, well, God is, God's word doesn't work, it doesn't help. It took me at least a year or two meditating upon the grace of God concerning finances to come to a place when I see, you know, when, when the money gets less or something happens that I find, you know, that I don't find any fear in my heart. And to come to a place where when I stop there with, a, with, with my car, you know, that's a reliable car next to the latest Mercedes-Benz or BMW that I don't feel anything in my heart. Or when I see somebody gets the newest car or the biggest house or whatever, that I don't feel that, you know, he's now more blessed than somebody else that lives in the squatter camp that also knows um, that, that Jesus Christ also died for. That I really, from the depth of my me being, cannot judge somebody according to what he owns. It took some time. Because for 30 odd years, I have been thinking and I've been taught a system that says, you get a degree, then you go to university, then you get a stable work, and that is a, that is a blessed life. That's nice. But a blessed life, let me tell you what a blessed life is. A blessed life is a rev- to, to have a revelation of the grace of God rooted in your life and having a relationship with God on that, that system. Believing that. That's a blessed life. And that blessed life is hidden in Christ with God. That's a blessed life. And having knowledge and of that, acknowledging that, and having the fruit of that in your life. That's a blessed life. Amen. Hallelujah. It's like marriage, you know. The fact that people are married for 25 years doesn't say anything. It just says they are married for 25 years. What says something is if they're happily married for 25 years. And then, now listen to this, if they are happily married for 25 years and they've had a good marriage, that still doesn't say anything. What says something to me is if they know the grace of God, and from the grace of God, as a root in their lives, who are happily married all that time. To me, that is, that is the real thing. And that's what God has got for you. And I want to say to you, don't try and manifest by your own efforts and your own works what God, uh, 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 um, you know, the blessed life that God says that will manifest in your life when you believe the gospel of grace. God says, listen man, this is the fruit that will be in the life of a believer if he is born of God. Long-suffering, kindness, goodness, mercy. It doesn't, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like me saying to you, when you go on holiday, you're going to enjoy the slides at Ushaka in Durban. You know, and you're going to be there in the aquarium and you're going to enjoy that. And then, I, then you say, well, that's what I'm going to have when I go on holiday, so let me try and fake it now. No. Go on holiday and experience that. Let that bring joy in your heart and then smile. In the same way when it comes to the, to, to, to the meditation and the work of God, it says, this is the gospel of grace. Let your mind be renewed by continually hearing these things because this word will bear fruit in your life. Colossians 1 verse 6 says clearly, he says that since the day you heard and knew the word of God's grace, you are bearing fruit. 
It says then, and I, and sorry, I, I phrased it wrongly. It says, since the day you heard and knew the grace of God, the Word of God is bearing fruit in your life. So, what is the conclusion? I cannot bear fruit. I must let this Word of God germinate in my heart. So, I take this gospel of grace. I listen to it until it becomes part of my belief system. Once it becomes part of my belief system, that Word bears fruit. Hallelujah. For the Bible states in John 15 clearly that of yourself you cannot do anything, but you must be in me, and then when you are in me, I will bear the fruit in your life. Oh, hallelujah. So the change of life in your life is because of a word of God's unconditional love that's gr- that, is, that is rooted in your belief system. Your belief system is that word. I can't tell you how nice it is. It's a freedom that I cannot describe to look at people and not judge them according to what they do and what they possess. Hallelujah. Hallelujah for that. Do you know what love comes in your heart when you can look at a person free from their possessions and their sins? Man. And the only way Let me tell you, the only way you will have that fruit in your heart to love somebody above what they do is by continual meditation upon how God loved man free from His works and while we were yet sinners, He gave His Son for us. You might say, Betty, I know that Jesus Christ gave His Son for us while we had sinners. But I continue to judge this guy and I continue... Yes, you continue to judge that guy and the fact that you continue to judge him has already been paid for in Jesus. But to change that thing is by believing it so much, not by you trying to believe it because faith doesn't come of yourself. It's a gift of God. The Bible says clearly in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. So, go read Ephesians chapter 2. You'll be so blessed. Go and read Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 3, where it says, this is a gift of God and not of yourselves. So, faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So, what happens? You know, God loved the whole world. That even in their sins, He gave His Son for them. For me, while I was a sinner, removed my sins from me. Gave a revelation to Paul that says, if if you want to do good and you don't do it, it means that it's not you doing it, but the sin in you that does it. And this sin in you is activated by a law system and that's destroying your life. So let's get away from this law system so that the good that you want to do can manifest under the Holy Spirit that indwells you. And not the Lord's system, let's remove that. We start to think of those things and ponder on those things. You can't help but to love people. That's the fruit that just comes of that system being rooted in you. And it doesn't get, in some people's lives it does, but most of the time it doesn't get rooted by just hearing of it once. So I want to stretch the importance today of of the continual hearing of the gospel. 
That's all that I, I want to stretch. I'm not saying you trying to get into scriptures. You reading your Bible. Man, take it wherever you want. I'm just, I'm not saying change your life. All I'm saying is the importance of the continual hearing of the gospel of grace is so great because it manifests the God life that or you already possess because of your faith in Jesus Christ. That, you've, that you received when you heard the gospel the very first time and you believed upon Him. Amen. The continual hearing of the gospel of grace is what will manifest the, towards sinners. Maybe you haven't even believed on Jesus, but there's a, there's, there's a life for you in Jesus that you, that you still need to say, I grab a hold of this. And by hearing this gospel of grace is your pathway unto grabbing a hold of it. And then it's your pathway into the discovery of what God has done for you. The Bible clearly says. He says that uh, in Colossians 3 that we ministered last Sunday on, that this new man, he says, put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I, I end off with the scripture. It says, My son, attend to my words. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Now, I'm not trying to say, listen, and put a law on you saying, <clears throat> you know, you must now meditate upon the word of God. No. Make sure, the first thing, the first thing, make sure that the word that you hear is good news. Because then that also comes naturally. It comes naturally. When you hear the best news, your eyes want to see it. Your eyes want to see it. But I want to say this, that, that, that this gospel, that God has given us our free will as well. And the moment we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, He hasn't robbed us of our, of our free will. That will stay part of you for as long as what you live. And every day, you've got a free will. And God gives you the opportunity to say, Today, I want to just meditate upon the awesome word that I've had yesterday. And your will is influenced by that good news. So make sure you don't hear the law. Because if you hear a law message, tomorrow you will not want to go and hear the good news. Because there will be only an influence in your heart that says, Get away from me. I don't want this. This is work. This is hard work. This is what he says, incline your ear unto my saying. Why? For it will generate the power in you that will influence your free will so that it will be easy for you to listen to it again. So that what will happen, he says, for they, this word, are life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. Okay, and then when you've got this word in your heart, once this gospel of grace is rooted in your heart, it says, keep your heart, guard your heart above all things, um, for out of it are the force that drives your life. So there's two stages, if you want to put it that way. The first thing is you hear the gospel. You take note of it. That gospel falls in your heart. Then it gets rooted in your heart. Once that word is rooted in your heart, you'll find the word bearing fruit. Now, if you take those things, you'll see it's, it set you free from all law righteousness. Okay, this can only be attained by the gospel of grace and not by the law. It's impossible by the law. Um, it's, it's completely impossible. And this only happens by you doing one thing. There's one thing that you must do. And God empowers us even to do this. And that is just to be willing to listen. Just listen. Play, the th play that seed in your car while you drive. That's all. Be willing to listen to the gospel of grace. That's all. 
A guy that's not willing to listen, how can he be saved? For the principle that God uses to get people saved is, you preach the word, they hear the word, and then they are saved. Hallelujah. We must end off. I see we've only got one minute left. Right. You hear the word. You hear the gospel of grace. That's why as evangelists we preach the, 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 the evangelio, the gospel, the good news. We preach that. It falls in the hearts of people. It, it, bears, it, it gets rooted in the lives of people. Then it starts to bear fruit. And what we do then is we say no to any other gospel. For it's going to cost us the fruit in our lives. It's going to cost us the force that drives our lives. Amen.